Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Schwabinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here. I'll be right back. With the rundown with not Rob and Rich, uh, <laughs> where we uh, take you into the weekend by running through the week that was in the mortgage industry. A lot to get to this week was MBA annual this week. Very lucky to have an excellent co-host that I'll introduce here in a moment. And uh, some news that broke an MBA annual. So we'll talk about all that and much more. Uh, and in great depth this week, because this week we're really pleased uh, to have a gentleman join us that uh, spoke at our conference in Chicago a few weeks ago, a good friend of the network and uh, one of the foremost authorities on just housing, housing policy, housing data in America, the managing director of the Harvard Joint Center of Housing Studies, Chris Herbert. Chris, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here and you can do my introduction anytime. That was yeah, that was good. I did that non-scripted and uh, <laughs> Myrtle. Do I have to give Myrtle uh, an introduction, Rob? Now that you brought her into the well, uh, Chris. Um, this is a lot of people think they know Myrtle, but few of us do. Yeah, this is Myrtle. She was she was in my commentary today, and uh, not pleased. So I'm going to throw her off my lap. <laughs> Sorry. Well, those that are pleased, stockholders. It's actually a good week for. The Dow, the, you know, we love the misleading headlines on this show. And I saw one this morning. Stock market has its best month in nearly 50 years, up 14%. But that is coming from just a deep, dark, oversold, oversold place. Nonetheless, some good news this week. Another inflation number yesterday, not worse than expected. We've lowered our expectations here. Just not worse than expected is a great thing all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, stocks rally, uh, mortgage rates came down a little bit again from a deep, dark place. But, uh, you know, for those hoping that we've seen the worst of inflation, some fodder for them this week, right, Rob? And, and what the hell is on your shirt, by the way? Well, this is my Halloween shirt, Rich. Thank you for asking. If you, it's, it's, um... uh, okay. Uh, something coming out of there. Out of your chest. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, not so frightening to your point is the economy. Uh, and it's it's been an interesting week the last couple of days. Uh, and I'm sure Chris, Chris will have some input on this. But yesterday we learned that third quarter GDP rebounded to 2.6%, beating expectations. So all the uh, the folks who thought, oh, we're going to have multiple quarters of negative GDP uh, were disappointed that it was as positive as it was. So it's kind of holding off that recession narrative um, after a couple of consecutive declines of, in 2022. But if you look at the details of GDP and the devil is in the details, right? They didn't exactly paint a picture of, of robust growth. Um the, the personal consumption services uh, and household consumption numbers, um, you know, all contributed less toward growth in the third quarter. Uh, investment in real estate structures, significant drag on growth. The largest contributor, interestingly enough, to that third quarter number um, were net exports. A lot of that thanks to natural gas sales to Europe given what's going on with Russia. And so the, the GDP numbers themselves did, didn't really impact the thinking that the Fed is going to 
Jack overnight rates up another three quarters of a percent, aka 75 basis points, but three quarters of a percent uh, next week. But it did, you know, give people some, you know, some pause about what's going to happen in December and beyond. And then, you know, the new home sales, uh, we all saw down almost 11% in September. And that wasn't a great number, although most people, or I should say a lot of people were expecting a negative 15%. So it was better than expected, still not good. Uh, and it really brings home the fact that higher mortgage rates are impacting buyers out there. And my discussions with realtors over the last few weeks, that's definitely a, a factor in terms of not only buyers not being able to afford things, but sellers also saying, well, gee, if, if things are going to start to slide a little bit, we're going to take our property off the market and either just stay there or rent it out. So uh, there is, you know, Rich and I, Rich, Chris, for your information, Rich and I have been talking about inventory almost every phone call, and inventory has certainly rebounded. The supply of new homes out there, Rich, has gone up to over 460,000. I think it's the highest level since 2008. So the inventory has bounced back. And uh, while you would think the, the increase in inventory uh, and the slowing sales would impact prices, the median price reported this week uh, rose 34000 to 470000 So you hear a lot of conflicting things out there from builders and uh, with regard to financing and incentives and lenders are talking about buy downs. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about the MBA conference, Rich, on the phone call. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on out there and builders are, are seeing some changes out there and they're you know, doing what they can, throwing in the, the granite countertops and the stainless steel faucets and so forth. But there's but there's some interesting things going on. And, and for Chris's information, uh, Chris, Rich and I talk a fair amount about affordable housing and about housing policy and so forth and so on and the impact of, of the administration's moves on housing in general. I know that's your sweet spot. So what are you hearing out there in terms of uh, the Biden administration, changes in policy? What, what should our, our, the lenders and vendors who are on this call tuning in be aware of in terms of what's going on now? Um, well, in terms of you know, mortgage finance policy, I guess the, the main place is FHFA, what Sandra Thompson's doing, you know, and obviously a few developments this week with uh, lowering upfront fees for the segment, you know, the underserved segment of the market that they're trying to foster. Um, uh, so, I, I, and I, I think they're trying to you know, open up the, the, that market, but um, you know, it's it's in the context of as you said, seven percent mortgage rate. So it's it's you know, I think it's kind of laying the groundwork for what will be more opportunities for lower income people of color to buy someday. But right now, it's probably not that day. So, I mean, that's I think that's what the, you know, in terms of housing finance, where the, most of the action is in the Biden administration. They obviously had a lot more housing and build back better. They didn't get through and doesn't seem like it's got much hope of getting through. So I'm not sure how many more big moves the Biden administration has on housing. You know, we've talked about uh, the, uh, you know, the Biden administration and 
kind of what's going on out there. Um, the you know it's easy for an administration to come in and and talk about whatever it is they want to talk about. Uh, but frankly, I was talking to uh, well, I was talking to a lot of people, but but they can only do so much. And by the time it filters down to uh, some of the lower levels, especially the state or the uh, local community, the, the the neighborhood, and so forth, uh, you know, the the message starts to get a little bit diluted uh, in terms of affordable housing and so forth. And then one of the things, Chris, that came out of, uh, uh, you know, some, some news that came out of Nashville was on the credit side of things. And I was talking to uh, the COO of, of Partners Credit, Tracy King, and Tracy has her finger on the pulse of, of this kind of stuff. And the, the news about, uh, the uh, the Vantage and a new FICO uh, score, new new methodology, and so forth. That won't take effect until at least 2024. And the question that that the industry is has is, you know, what happens in the meantime in terms of credit? And she Tracy was saying that uh, you know it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors uh, to bring it down to two bureaus. Uh, four scores and so forth. Uh, both are required, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are you following that all? Do you think? Do you think that the the administration or any administration really gets down into the weeds in terms of, in this case, credit scoring changes that may not happen for some years? Um, you know, I follow it somewhat. I can't say that uh, I'm an expert on the issue. But I, I I do think. Part of the challenges is that obviously in these big systems trying to come up with uh, what the standards are. And, and so, and obviously credit scoring models evolve all the time. And so you'd like to have a very flexible, adaptive one. But on the other hand, you also want to have some vetting to make sure that you believe in these models. And so I think they're, they're trying to come up with, uh, you know, splitting the difference between saying, okay, here's the one that we use versus here's, here's a broader range of ones without having it be, you know, completely open-ended. So, um, and obviously they get embedded into big systems. So it takes time to do that. And it's a big ship to try to turn. So I, I'm sensitive to the fact that I think, you know, FHFA uh, wants to expand the credit box, wants to have new ways of looking at it, but also is trying to do it in a way that's not going to make it, you know, operationally possible. So that's, I think that's the, the, the what they're trying to split the difference there between. Yeah, partners, uh, uh, a couple of people from partners there, but we're, we're in Nashville, but they were, they were talking about how, uh, you know, endless discussions are going to be had with regard to, uh, you know, these changes, uh, you know, which two bureaus to use, uh, how the GSEs will determine what score to use, how lenders will, not that they would ever want a game or cheat the system, but, you know, how are lenders going to react? And, you know, are they are, are lenders still going to try to pull three scores, for example, and uh, and use the two that are best? I mean, there's all kinds of, of permutations from that, but uh, lots, lots of details to be figured out, obviously. And you mentioned the FHFA and, and you know, Sandra Thompson, who heads that up, is, is a good friend of, of the Mortgage Collaborative and has been to a couple of the conferences, either in person or on video. And where do you, th where do you see 
Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, going from here? You know, they've, they've, they've obviously kind of given up. I shouldn't say given up. I won't say that. Let me, let me rewind the tape. Take that, take that out of the final version on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, um, the tape, Amy. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, but they, but they have shifted gears, you know, for years they were talking about recapitalize and release and so forth. And then the new, with the new administration, the focus has been much more on affordable housing and serving underserved markets and so forth. And uh, not so much in, you know, having good, decent pricing for uh, people looking to add another investment property or uh, a second home, for example, and going back to the, the mission, the charter to help, you know, new new home buyers and so forth. Do you think that will continue? Where 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 should people on the show pay attention uh, to uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac going forward? Where where do you see them doing in the near future? Um, yeah, I got to confess here, you didn't include this in my my, my bio and your open, Rich. Maybe it's not on your radar screen, but uh, I I'm on the board of directors of Freddie Mac. So, oh. um, so I got to be, you know, when I, when I speak here, I'm certainly speaking as Chris Herbert uh, from the Joint Center for Housing Studies and not there. But so I do, I mean, I have some perspective on this. I mean, I would say, and really nothing that's not public. I mean, I think that, you know, there's been a very big change in direction from the last director of FHFA to this director. Um, I think that um, in that change, I think, you know, Mark Calabria was very, very focused on exit and Sandra Thompson is, I wouldn't say she's changed that. I mean, I think that what she's she's really focused, she's pushed much more the mission related to affordable and equitable housing, clearly. Um, she's certainly has not taken her eye off of safety and soundness. I think all of her public pronouncements say, you know, it's a both end, is that we need to push on mission, but at the same time that we make sure that these entities as you know, important as they are, systemically important, are safe. Um, so I guess what I would say is I think the GSEs need to, to be paying attention to both of those missions, which is to provide liquidity and stability to the market, but also be you know, expanding opportunities for, for people to be able to own homes. Um, they're still in the business of trying to create a strong businesses, because I think that the enterprises, you know, and I think the director would agree with this, ultimately have, have an eye on you know, getting released from conservatorship. And to do that, they need to be well, you know, strong operating organizations, well capitalized and the like. So right now, you know, they've been very profitable the last couple of years. They've been building up capital. They're putting themselves in a position to, you know, to see the light at the end of the tunnel that way. But I think regardless of, uh, uh, of, of what happens in terms of the bottom line, they still need to keep uh, an eye on the social bottom line as well. So um I, you know, I think no one knows when exit will happen. Uh, there's Congress ultimately is going to have to act. The Treasury has a lot to say about this. There's a court running its way through the courts right now that may have a lot to say about this too. Uh, the case that's coming, it's in trial. So um, there's still a lot of uncertainties. But I, so I say, you know, where I sit at the board of directors, what I see is an organization that's trying to become the strongest organization it can that lives up to its mission. Um, and, and trying to do that, regardless who, who sits in the FHFA chair. There's, as you referenced, the charter. There's the charter, there's the regulations, and that sets a pretty clear line about what they should be doing. You mentioned, Rob, pricing. I mean, pricing really is in FHFA's hands. It's not, the enterprises can't really move pricing around without the FHFA you know, telling them that they can do that. We, they can make recommendations or requests, but ultimately, 
they want to make sure that Fannie and Freddie are aligned too. So you can't have one enterprise doing one thing, the other enterprise doing another. So in a lot of ways, I think Fannie and Freddie are really, um, they're focused on service and products as much as they are on pricing because there's a lot of control over their pricing. So uh, off the record, if you were me, would you buy stock in, in Freddie Mac? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but do you, do you guys rotate who brings the donuts to the board meetings or is that uh, Freddie, Freddie Mac? Uh, do you guys have in-person board meetings? I should ask that. Or is it all, is it all Zoom and virtual? No, it's in person. We were virtual, like the whole world. We were virtual for a while, but we've been live. Uh, I think last December was our first live board meeting, and we've been live since then. So yeah, we're live. Good. Yeah, and obviously, uh, I haven't seen any donuts, Rob. But that's a good. I'm gonna make a note here. Donuts. That's a really right. Get some somebody out there to get some Krispy Kremes uh, brought in. Uh, the I think everybody on the call knows that. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are, are, are huge in, in residential lending. I, I view the, the shift back to focusing on their mission or their charter as opposed to being released as a, a very good thing for the industry and to have some of that. I know maybe you can't com comment on that, but obviously you know that when there's tumult involving Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, you know, it, it roils the market, R-O-I-L-S, and it takes away from lenders trying to help borrowers when they don't know what mom and dad are doing in the, uh, you know, in the primary and secondary markets. So, and, you know, when, when the, when you look at the non-agency market, i.e. private market in terms of liquidity, in terms of Gee, if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were privately held, like some of the non, it's like the non-QM investors or some of the aggregators, and their ability to go into a market or out of a market or change their pricing or just shut off the tap and say we're not buying any loans, it really throws a monkey wrench into into residential lending. So I've always been a, a huge proponent of of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I think they're the job that they do is, you know, it, it's huge and it's got to be tough. And I'll, I'm going to turn this back over to Rich here, but it's got to be very tough for either a board or the CEO, senior management of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac to be dealing with not only the consumer, but also all the lenders and vendors out there on one side and then dealing with the president and Congress and the regulators uh, on the other side, to be to, to have to go through and, and deal with all these stakeholders. So when a change is made, to be able to incorporate all this input and then you know implement something. I can't even imagine how monumental that task must be. So hats off to you and the other board members and senior management. Well, that, that's nice you to say, Robin. I I would say that um, you know. What, what's important for the organization is that they have a, a clear North Star and it's liquidity, stability, and affordability. And I think that should be the North Star, you know, through through the cycle, it should be the North Star through administrations. And I think that's what our, our goal is, is to try to um, to really be that that stable force in the market. And we're not in and out and we're, we're there to kind of be that foundation. So in some ways, you know, if, as long as if you have that clear vision, then, the, then everything else falls in place. And so... Um, 
but, but it, you know, we're a mono line, so it seems simple, but you're right. There's a lot of stakeholders um, and it, paying attention to all those stakeholders who all have an important reason for being a stakeholder can be challenging. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody wants to say anything that they, uh, you know, sincerely regret later down the road when, uh, you know, anybody in general, but certainly when you're, when you're in that position. So. Well, um, I was just reading the, um, the economist, the front page of the economist and folks saw it about housing prices and how scary the situation is with housing prices. And, Right now, what's happening in Europe is that most everybody's on, you know, short-term adjustable mortgages. And with interest rates going through the roof, Europe is going to face an enormous housing crisis because so many people are going to adjust to 7%. The fact that, you, that we have a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is going to provide a lot of stability in our housing market. And so I think there's ever a time when the case about why do we need a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, this cycle we're in right now is going to prove that case. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. When you and when you talk to somebody, uh, you know, an ordinary person, not that we're extraordinary, but an ordinary somebody who's not in the business, uh, somebody who barely knows anything. There's a T in mortgage and so forth. Inevitably, I find out that, or I find that they know who they've heard of at least Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They are, you know, you throw out some of the non the, the non QM investors or the aggregators, and they have they have no idea. But they've heard of Fannie Mae and they've heard of Freddie Mac, and they may even know that their loan went through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, or their, you know, something about underwriting or something about, you know, something. They, the the, the two agencies, like I said earlier, just occupy a uh, irreplaceable part of of the mortgage food chain. So it's a good thing. This is the Rich. Rundown with Robin Rich, uh, Rich Torbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Chrisman this week. Really pleased to be joined by the Managing Director of the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies, Chris Herbert. Chris, uh, and I just linked it in the chat, every year uh, the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies puts out a really in-depth and fabulous report on the state of the nation's housing and housing stock. For anybody that has not read this report, um, it is linked in the chat and it is, uh, it's a really worthwhile read annually for many of us. And uh, Chris, this came out in June and my, how much a lot has changed since then, right? I mean, almost right after you put this thing to print, interest rates started catapulting. So kind of like two-part question. One would be, just, you know, high level, the amount of research and analytics and humans that go into producing that report, because I've always wondered that and wanted to ask you that. And two, um, outside of the obvious interest rate change since June, what else has changed with housing since the report was released that's really, you know, made you rethink or, um, you know, reassess some components of it? Yeah. So uh, to your first question, Rich, so, you know, the Joint Center is not that big a place. So overall, we are 20 people and, you know, maybe a third of those are wearing some sort of administrative hat. So we got 10 to 12 researchers, not all of them work on this report. There's probably about six to eight people who actually work on the report, um, kind of doing the, doing the research. And there are um, a gazillion, and that's a technical term, sources of data that go into it. Um, one thing that's important to recognize, and I don't know how much people know about this, but if you look at the inside cover, there's about you know, 12 to 15 organizations who are the sponsoring organizations. And going back to the original year we did this report, the, the goal was to provide a factual assessment of the state of the housing market 
that could be relied on people from anywhere on the spectrum in terms of policy, industry, advocacy, and say that the information presented is, is fair and accurate. And so we've got these 15 organizations, you look at them there, we've got you know the Mortgage Bankers Association, the National Association of Home Builders, the Realtors, but we also have the National Loan Income Housing Coalition, the Housing Assistance Council, National League of Cities. So we have all organizations of different perspectives they both, when we, we first meet with them in January and say, hey, what's on the radar? What are the, what are the issues you're seeing, the things that we ought to be covering? What's new information that we ought to be incorporating? And then in April, we have a first draft of the report and we send it out and we have those organizations all review it. And the idea is we want to make sure it's accurate and it's fair, you know, and that we're not characterizing things in a way that anybody would say, you know, that's, that's you're tilting the, the, the playing field there when you do that. So but we do spend a lot of time making sure the information is accurate and that the tone and the like is fair. Um, I don't know if that answers your question about the production. Yeah, no, totally. It would be, it'd be refreshing if our, our news reporters in America followed that same. It's the way it used to be, but, uh, you know, it seems simple, but. Uh, uh, well, and then in the end, you get these like from the different sides. You know, if we figure if we leave, uh, everybody is a little bit annoyed, but not pissed off, then we probably hit the right, you know, um, uh, you know, in terms of what's changed, you know, obviously, you know, the, the challenging thing about this is we sit down in January, right? And we're starting like to frame what the themes are going to be and think about where the market was in January. And then by about April, we're like, whoa, you know, mortgage rates have started to go up. You know, at that point, still, we're still writing a lot of the report, looking in the rearview mirror, right? We're looking at data from that came out last quarter. And so this was a challenge. They're always a challenge, but this was a challenge report because you knew the market was pivoting. But a lot of the data we're reporting was still not showing that pivot. Um, and I think what's just been, you know, uh, it's probably not surprising given how much the Fed has moved, but just how quickly, particularly the owner-occupied market has pivoted. And I think, you know, if you look at, you know, if you were mentioning the outset, Rob, you know, how sales have just really fallen uh, so sharply. Um, and we're really seeing the, the owner-occupied market soften quite a bit. One thing I guess that's been surprising is, and I'm not sure why it's surprising uh, entirely, but it's just how how resilient the multifamily market has been. You know, if we look at what's happening with housing starts, all the decline has been on the single family side and multifamily starts are still trending up. Um, you know, you talk to multifamily folks, I think the National Multi-Housing Council came out with their sentiment indexes today and they're all down. Um you know, hearing from developers who are saying, you know, 7% rates are, whether you know, uh, whatever they are on the multifamily side, it's going to get harder and harder to pencil deals out. But um, but the, but there's still, you know, people who can't get into the owner-occupied market are piling up in the rental market. Vacancies are low. You know, rent growth is softening, but rents are at a high level. So I think part of what's been surprising is just how resilient the multifamily market has been in the face of the overall housing downturn. But I guess Thinking about it, it's not surprising because there's still underlying strong consumer demand and, you know, people looking for a place to live and they, they got to go somewhere. They really do. And uh, you mentioned earlier in the show, Sandra Thompson, a.k.a. Sandy T's uh, announcements earlier this week at the MBA. Um, one is the lowering of, uh, without specifics yet, fees for uh, affordable products and some borrowers. Uh, and then, uh, you know, also the increase, though, in, in fees associated with cash out refinances, also the aforementioned uh, changes to uh, credit reporting and being able to use Vantage score, different types of credit scoring services. And, uh, you know, obviously a good thing for the market and, uh, you know, be 
the quest of bridging the racial home ownership camp in the short term, though, and, and again, the FICO thing's not going to have any impact anytime soon. Um, but you know, with the lowering of the fees, some could argue with with you know demand as noted already still very high despite poor affordability, supply improving, but you know still uh, not where we need it to be. That anything that would increase demand and you know there's been some talk about maybe in a you know a first time uh down payment assistance or first time home buyer tax credit of some sort would that though have the potential unintended effect of continuing to push rent prices up um because of you know am i uh, stoking more demand on the the for sale market um how would that push rent prices up, Rich? If we're still going to demand for for sale. Well, if you you know if it, if it just increases the you know I mean if you're Overall, if you have more, more I guess people from the renter pool that are able uh, that are able to buy homes and um, you know with with uh, occupancy still at low levels if if it could have any un- unintended consequences. You know, I, I, I guess I don't think so. And I think the main reason is I just don't think in this market, it's enough of a change in cost to really move the needle very much. So one of the pieces of analysis we did in June, which was outdated by the time you know, the report got released, was we looked we, in the report itself. We said in April of 2021, this is what a house cost. This is what the interest rate was. This is how much income you needed to qualify for the median price home in the U.S. under some assumptions. And it was about seventy eight thousand dollars. A year later, April of 2022, mortgage rates were at that point, you know, in the high the high fives, and prices had gone up 20 percent, and you needed about 115 thousand dollars to qualify for the median price home. And we, by our estimate, you went from having about 10 10.2 million renters who could had incomes above 75 thousand to having about 5.8 million renters. And that was when the interest rates were at you know five point something, right? And now they're at seven. So our, our estimate now is that you need north of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month to qualify for a median priced home. And you're you know yeah you're talking about you know another losing another million renters who can afford it. So if you you know when Sandra's talking about changing the upfront free fees, you're really tweaking affordability. You know just you know basis points, right? In terms of what the final mortgage is. So. Um, I, that's why I said in my outset, my remarks at the beginning, is I think in the long run, this will have a beneficial effect. But in this market, it's just lost in the fact that interest rates have gone up as much as they have. I wouldn't worry. I mean, I, you know, a, a couple of months ago in the spring, I think there was some conversation we we're having in the Joint Center, too, about the fact that, gee, you know, if we now have the Biden administration really pushing home ownership, housing prices have gone up 40 percent the last few years. We're in the, you know, corrections got to be coming. And do you really want to be getting people to buy homes now when they're likely going to be seeing a correction coming? And um, so I'd worry more about this if I felt that there was really a chance that they, people, this would make a big difference for people being able to buy a home. But um, I do think that, you know, if you have the option not to buy, you might want to wait a little while. <laughs> um, on the other hand, you know, a lot of a lot of times a decision about where to live and what the home is are based on long run changes in your life, right? I've you know I had a kid, I was starting school, I changed my job, and so as long as you're going to stay in place for a while, seven to ten years, you know, so you can ride out whatever kind of ups and downs there are in home prices. Yeah, mortgage rates are seven percent today, but they probably won't be in five years, and you can refinance. So 
you know, I think it, it really comes down to can you afford the house now and is it the right house for you? And am I going to be put and stay put for a while? But all that said, I mean, if you're somebody who's on the margin of being able to buy a home, now may not be the time to make that leap. Rob, MBA annual this week, uh, a lot of good discussion just amongst uh, those of us in the industry, meetings, cocktail parties, always a great time to just really uh, collect the pulse of the industry. Obviously, it's been a, a tough year for the industry, but it was really pleasantly surprised by the levels of optimism I saw there. I obviously got into a lot of discussions with people about how things could play out as it relates to Fed policy and rates. It seems to me like things are, and, and this is maybe just the people I'm talking to, but would welcome your thoughts on two camps in, in terms of the interest rate climate. Uh, one is kind of like the Fed sticks to landing camp. And I think the MBA's projections were kind of along this line that they released at the conference. Uh, Mike Fred and Tony, their economist, and, you know, it's kind of uh, you know, I didn't come out right out and say this, but it's kind of like the we've seen the worst of inflation. It's still going to be a pain in our ass and send us into the technical definition of a recession. But as long as it, we have seen the worst of it, um, this climate where interest rates kind of slowly fall to the low fives and probably hang out there. Obviously, so many factors that go into this. This is just dart throwing. And the other camp would be you know, we're going to continue to see volatile inflation numbers and unwinding the financial ramifications of the pandemic and all the stimulus is going to be choppy and you're going to see some ups and downs. And this is probably more where I am, um, you know, where, uh, you know, you could see rates go higher than they are now. But then on the flip side, on the back end of it, if you get that more volatile climate, you could also see rates you know, a lot lower than they are now. I just, uh, your, your circles this week, uh, I wonder if that fell in line with with discussions you were having. Was there a question in there, Rich? No, never, Seriously. never. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, um, yeah. Uh, Which camp know. are you in? Are you in, are well, you in the, uh, uh camp, so, uh, Fred and or camp or Sorbonne? As I was saying, saying earlier to Chris, you know, you don't, you don't want to say something that you, uh, 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 sincerely regret saying uh, because it's going to, you know, can can lead to problems down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say that the the thinking is th this is going to sound a little bit uh, insensitive to some extent. I realize interest rates play a part, but Chris alluded to the fact, and you alluded to the fact that <clears throat> people people need a place to live. And once again, if you are, if you were there in 1980 or 1985 or whenever you were, and you had a family and you had two, two, two kids and you were living in an apartment and you wanted to move into a particular school district, it didn't matter. I mean, you figured out a way to make it work. And we didn't have the tools then that we have now in terms of down payment assistance programs, in terms of you know mortgage insurance, in terms of um, some of the just the low the housing finance authorities that are out there that can help. That being said, you know everybody on this call realizes not everybody either wants to own a home or can own a home. The question is, should they if they want to own a home, should they be able to buy? And that's where originators regardless of company and regardless of 
of their background. That's where originators can step in and lend a personal touch to help them buy a home, to advise them to say, you know, it's not a matter of clicking on the internet and saying, oh, you know, I want to buy a house in Twinsburg, Ohio. You know, who's going to give me the best rate or who's going to give me the best price or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of sitting down with individuals on a personal level and saying, here's our situation and having that loan officer become a financial coach uh, to that borrower. And rates are going to do what rates are going to do. Maybe they're seven, maybe non-QM right now is in the nines and tens, which it is. Rates are going to go up, rates are going to go down. But throughout history, interest rates, I won't say they're irrelevant to home ownership. Obviously, they factor into affordable housing. But if you want to buy a home, you want to buy a home. And it's and it's not necessarily interest rate dependent. It is dependent upon your ability at this point to make to repay the loan and whether that loan is at 3% or 7%. Yeah, it matters, but there's a school of, there's a school out there that says where there's a will and there, and where, there where there's a will, there's a way. And to rely on a, a talented originator to figure out, figure that out. And maybe it won't happen this month or next month. Maybe, maybe, Hey, uh, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, you know, let's let's touch base. I'm going to you know put you on my Rolodex calendar, whatever. Let's figure this out. But I think you're about a year away from home ownership, and here's why. And you need to. These are the steps you need to make. They become a personal coach with somebody who can't buy a place now. And you know, maybe it's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. They have some great programs that help first-time homebuyers. Like I said, not necessarily regardless of interest rate, but you know, there's, there, it's going to, it's going to get done somehow at some point and interest rates, you know, I'm a capital markets guy. And when, when our clients would ask us what are rates going to do tomorrow after unemployment comes out, you know, we flip a coin, they're going to go up, they're going to go down. It wasn't, you know, we're, we're going to hedge your pipeline today, regardless of what rates are going to do tomorrow. We're going to help you buy a home regardless of rates are going to, you know, regardless of whatever rates are going to do tomorrow or next week or not next month, nobody has a crystal ball. And so our talents lie in, or lay, lie, I always get those confused, in in helping people, not trying to predict interest rates. So we can talk about interest rates. Of the current political season, I ask you a question about interest rates and you just, you know, you go on your own tangent about something completely unrelated uh, and then go on and say, that's what you did as a cap market. Very well done, Rob, by the way. (laughs) You get you right on the campaign trail. Uh, So, but Chris, that leads to my last question for you. And this is a big and important one. The the all the home ownership, the racial home ownership gap in America, uh, clearly a focus of uh, this administration and, um, in something just in America that needs to be addressed and fixed and gapped. And, but there's a lot of headwinds to that. You know, obviously the interest rate climate has not been favorable. You know, we've talked, right? I mean, inventories are rising. Homes prices aren't plummeting. And we knew this was coming. We knew they'd level off and we'll eventually lose some of this growth the last year or two. But uh, don't see any scenario. I did all the aforementioned uh, references to great demand for housing still in America. So if demand stays strong, we know the builders aren't building single family homes to the degree they need to. You noted some of the progress on the multifamily side, but like ultimately, you know, I'm not asking for specific predictions, but like in general, you know, like when we're a year down the road from now, I mean, I'm just a numbers guy, right? I, I look at the numbers and I say, there's almost no chance that 
the um, the affordable home ownership and the goals associated with it issues are better than they are a year ago because there's just a lot of headwinds. I hope I'm wrong. Am I barking up the wrong tree here? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I referenced earlier our assessment of how many renters were pushed out of the affordable, affordable range. And the, you know, the shares of uh, Black and Hispanic renters who were pushed out is greater than the share of whites who were pushed out because Black and Hispanic households tend to have lower incomes. And so this current environment is not conducive to closing the gaps, that's for sure. You know, it's... Um, if you think about all the factors that go into the, the, the home ownership gaps, and part of it is, you know, this starts with uh, the fact that people of color have uh, lower incomes, reflecting, you know, historical disadvantages in the labor market, the education market. So there's a lot of things we have to do more broadly in society about, you know, getting better opportunity. That is not a housing finance solution, right? You can't You can't solve the problem that People haven't had opportunities to have, make more money through a mortgage, <laughs> so um, so there's a whole bunch of things we need to do to address the home ownership gap that have to do that aren't really housing related. What can we do within the housing sphere? I mean, certainly you know differences in uh, information about the process, information about you know, financial uh, education, understanding credit scores. I, I think we can do a whole lot more on home buyer education and counseling, and trying to meet people where they are and help people prepare. Down payment, Rob, you mentioned down payment assistance. We could do more on that front. That's really meaningful. The Joint Center is doing an analysis now of, you know, what was the, uh, uh, I the name of the exact legislation, Maxine Waters Advanced American Dream uh, down payment, so something something using those words, $25,000 for folks. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a meaningful amount of money to be able to go for buying a, a medium price home. It doesn't change the affordability equation much. It gives you the cash you need to go to the closing table. It doesn't change how much house you can buy. So we're going to have to think about other ways to expand people's purchasing power. Um, and then the big thing is also why are homeownership gaps as big as they are? It's not just about who gets into homeownership. It's who succeeds as a homeowner. And so we need to think a lot more about what, what kind of protections do we have and supports do we have for people once they become homeowners? And, you know, a lot of it just has to do with the vicissitudes of life, right? You lose your job, you get divorced, you have a health crisis, and they're not things that people can necessarily control. So we ought to have more, better ways of ensuring those risks and helping people stay in their homes. I mean, I think, I don't know what, what folks in this uh, audience would say, but I, the forbearance program was enormously effective at Keeping for, I mean, there was no blip in foreclosures, really, you know, coming out of what was a horrific downturn in the economy. So I think there's lessons there about saying, you know, we can help people stay in their homes and ultimately it's better for everybody if they do. So, but it's multifaceted, Rich. We got to have, and I didn't even mention supply, because that's the other piece of this is like, what what are their homes available to purchase? Are they affordable? Are they in the communities where people want to live? And that's not a housing finance solution, right? That's a that's a housing policy. That's a state and local government uh, solution. So we're not going to move the needle on this unless we think about all these different dimensions where we need help. Housing finance critical, but it's only one piece of a bigger puzzle. Yeah, and I would agree with the audience. Uh, great points. There's there's so much more that you know. We in this show, you know, we're in the mortgage space. We get so bogged down in like the lender side of it. But to your point, it's educating potential home buyers. It's setting the ones that are current home buyers up for success. It's, you know, and a lot of other uh, kind of tentacles to the issue that, and they all need, you know, shown some love and attention to, 
to truly tackle the problem. So very, very well said. And uh, Rob, uh, to take us home, there's a lot of stuff in the chat, uh, including somebody, look, the light on your head, it does look like you have a mohawk right now. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, a darn sun, you know, here here in... uh, It's for all those sun jokes you make about my window. It's uh, karma. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Wow. Is that that better? There we go. Oh, yeah. The sperm statue in the background again, too. No, no, no. For for Chris's (laughs) information, you know, Rich, you had to go down that path. No. uh, You're rarely in the same location twice. I had to comment. Yeah. So, so Chris, these are actually uh, from the 1870s and 1880s. They are upside down uh, uh, fence posts that the cavalry used to create uh, corrals out in the prairie, like, you know, uh, Wyoming and the Dakotas, Montana, they carry these in the wagon and then they, they drill them into the ground and run, uh, run, ropes through the loops and uh corral the horse for the night and then pick it up and do it again you know wherever they went the next day so well, I'm, I'm glad you gave me that description which is really that's, that's amazing and interesting historical artifact of course i will always think of what rich said they are when i see them though <laughs> well i, think I figured you would appreciate up, yeah. that being a you're a history major so uh if, if we're I, ever I, together <laughs> i would like, love to talk history i like i like history there it is um Anything else from MBA annual to uh, take us into the weekend, Rob? Any? No, you know, um, somebody's somebody's got it. You know, the MBA is thinking we're going to do two trillion next year. Great, whatever it is, somebody's got to do that two trillion, and it's not all going to be you know five companies. So it's very important for people to remember that and, and you know tell their coworkers that there's you know it's still a big pie. Very well said, Chris. Any uh, final thoughts to uh, take us into the weekend? No, thanks for having me on. It's fun fun to chat with you guys. You know, I've asked, we've had a lot of co-hosts over the last year. I've asked almost every one of them the affordable housing. I, you're the first one to give a real answer. So uh, kudos to you. That, uh, there was a lot of good stuff in there and something we can all learn from and just learn from this appearance in general. Very, very informative and greatly appreciate you taking some time out of your Friday to to join us, Chris. My, my, my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Yes. Thank you. Right. To our attendees, thanks as always for wrapping up the week with us. We're every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, the rundown with Robin Rich. You can also find us on podcast, on YouTube, and of course, this live broadcast every Friday. So till next Friday, be a great weekend. And next week, everyone, take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.